Well, it's been a minute. For years, I've had this outlook of not letting things bother me, and I'd say, if nobody I love was diagnosed with cancer today, it was a great freaking day. Even if everything went wrong, just because I know none of it really matters. The things we often worry about just aren't important if you zoom out far enough. Well, about five months ago, that happened. My 69-year-old strong and healthy father was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and passed away two weeks ago. Even though I am heartbroken and at the beginning stages of working through this, I wanted to share what it's been like because I think it could really help other people who have been through it or are going through it or for the future. This is not going to be a very sad episode, but rather a chat about the gems of wisdom that have come from this challenging stage of life. We spend so many episodes talking about how incredible life is, and it is, but it can also be really hard. We're in it together, friends. Let's go. You're listening to the How to Be Awesome at Everything podcast, where we're obsessed with life hacks that make your life more awesome. Your host, Lindsay Dickhout, is an entrepreneur and business owner, a mom and wife, and someone who wants to do things over the top at all times. This concept started as a collection of things Lindsay has learned that she was documenting to give to her kids one day, and now it's a podcast. Join us on this journey where we talk about how to be awesome at everything we do. Here's Lindsay. This episode is the only episode that I've ever sat down several times to record it. And as I went to hit record, I was like, nope, nope, today's just not the day. This is not the time and this is not the day to do this. It's the first time just because it's hard and it's heavy. Um, This podcast has always been you know, kind of like a journal and a documenting of life and the lessons learned along the way. And like I, you've probably heard in the introduction, I really started the whole concept as something for my kids, specifically my girls, to reflect back on as they were going through different things in their life and just sort of like share the things that we work so hard to learn through our life experiences and share it. But this this podcast feels so personal and so special to me. I didn't want too much time to pass without doing this episode. So this is a life lately and a life lessons learned podcast. I, even though I am super, super sad having lost my father two weeks ago, today is the Thursday we lost him two Thursdays ago, Um, so even though I am so sad. I do not want to. I'm not going to cry because I don't want to put the sadness on you. Like that's not my goal. I don't want to make you sad. I don't want to feel, I don't want you to feel like you're carrying some of the weight of the sadness that I feel and my family feels and all that. That's not the point of this. But I do want to be very honest and open and transparent about what it feels like, what the lessons learned what I wish I would have kind of known before this, but not even wish I would have known because some things you can only learn by actually going through the experience. But um, I've really written down gems of information, wisdom, thoughts through this hard chapter of life. And I feel like it's interesting because on social media, so many like, I mean, the I really debated putting it on social media because I think, especially when it happened, it was just so personal. 
Um, and I didn't want every single person I saw or, you know, everyone I knew to come up and how are you? What, what happened? I didn't want to keep feeling that sadness when I was in shock and I, I still totally am in shock. But at the same time, I felt like it was the right thing to share just because none of us are normal. Like my family, like we're not going to feel normal for a long time. So I felt like it was the best way to to give our friends and people in our world and at school and people that we see on the daily and weekly, like a heads up just because otherwise um, they wouldn't know and we're different and we're coping and we're going through it. Um, And then really just having the so much love and people sharing stories and their insights of of um, things that have happened to them and how they've dealt with it or books that have made it easier, all that stuff. I always find so much, it always just brings so much value and so much strength. I'm also not afraid of being vulnerable. I think there's so much strength in vulnerability and I like showing kinks in the armor. Like I always say, I guess more on this podcast than on social media, but I had a couple comments of people saying, some people that I know and some people that I don't know, saying, um, you seem like you're picked right back up and you're carrying on. I'm worried that you're not really taking the time and that you're not really feeling the feelings and that this is really going to, to come back to you later. And I fully understand that, but we all know social media is little snips of our lives. And the reality of it is, I am not a person I'm not going to show myself crying just because I don't think that I don't think that brings value. I do think it brings like massive value to share the stories and and share the hard parts of life for sure. Um but also for my my family specifically, my husband Craig has um advanced heart disease. He's 52 years old. If you don't know, I'll tell you the real quick version. He had open heart surgery just after Parker was born. He had a triple bypass. Most of his issues are genetic, and there's like several genetic issues. He's had heart attacks. We've had um, ablations. We've had stints. We uh, This year, he had um, his aortic um, artery um, replaced. Am I saying that right? Aortic, his main artery, his valve. He had his valve and an artery. He's had a lot of things done, let's say that. And even this year, um, gosh, my brain is so foggy. But um, my husband has, um, and he's died three times. He's gone into cardiac arrest, one fully in the ICU, um, a full cardiac arrest where he had to be resuscitated. He had no oxygen for three minutes. And then um, two other times. So then after that, he had a defibrillator and a pacemaker put in his chest, and then it went off twice. So basically his heart stopped two more times after that, right? So his heart has stopped three times now and he's been in and out of surgeries and oftentimes the surgeries are at Cedars-Sinai in LA. So when we're going through these phases of life, he's not home for like two weeks, a week to two weeks at a time. And then I'm obviously splitting my time between home with the kids in LA. So all that to say, my immediate family, the five of us living here have dealt with so much sadness and worry and like close to death stuff for like our, you know, our man of the house that I, in going through this with my own father, I um, wanted to make sure that my family, we can't all become paralyzed by the fear of dying. Like my dad, I know, wants us to enjoy each other and live our lives 
and love each other and and do the thing. So that's what I've been doing since, but certainly with a big heavy weight, like the biggest and most heavy weight. So I'm really big on not labeling things. I don't label my feelings as good or bad. I try not like at first I was like, "Oh my god, I am I am so deeply depressed." And that could be accurate, but then afterwards I was like, "Yeah, but how does that serve me?" Like by saying that or telling myself that, like how does that actually serve me? So I've just decided I'm going to feel all the feelings, same with everyone in the house and and extended family and friends. Um I'm just going to live through the emotions, not hold back, be honest about it, talk about him when I'm thinking about him, which is all the time, cry when I need to, um, but also keep doing the things like, you know, not still going to the kids to get sports. And um, when we have, I mean, obviously this was especially hard during the holidays, but also I can't just sit, I mean, sit at home in a corner curled up in a blanket and be sad. Like in no way is that going to serve me in this process of healing and celebrating his life and coming to terms with and really accepting, accepting what it is and, and how it affects my life going forward. So that's kind of that. So it's funny. And other people were like, you know, we, I can tell that you're so sad. So some people are like, you seem like you're just carrying on with life. This is going to come back to bite you later. And then other people are like, I can tell your sadness, you know, through kind of sharing the little snippets of normal life that you tell. So it's funny how different people can kind of see things differently and interpret things differently. Um, for me, I just kind of, I, I don't take social media too seriously. I share, share things when I happen to think of it. Um, I just don't think it too seriously. I, I share things that I think um, are interesting and entertaining that I like seeing of other people. So that's what I that's what I share, and I guess it comes across the way it, the way it comes across. Um, but hopefully through this podcast, even more um, the vulnerability and the strength that comes from vulnerability really shines through, and kind of that message gets across not just now but in general. Um, just because perfectionism is like not my jam. Perf- being being perfect at anything is not the goal for me. It's progress, and um, it's 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 about the it's about the pursuit and the progress and the joy that comes with it. Not trying to have a perfect end result. So, the story of my dad's sickness. Just because I think that there are definitely lessons to learn from it. The other quick thing before I get into this little part of it is like every story, there are different parts of it and different people involved that I just want to be really respectful and not tell other people's parts or I don't know. I'm such an open book because I just think I always, I like, I like saying things as they are, you know, like I talk about on this podcast. I think if you, if you keep things in the dark, they become powerful. Whereas if you kind of like say them out loud, even if, even if it's scary, even if it's sad, even if it, even if it calls out your own weaknesses or fail fails or regrets, um, I like letting those things see the light of day because I think it, it feels the best to me. And I just think nothing's that big of a deal to, to, to carry the weight and burden up. However, 
in these stories, I always want to be careful and respectful that I don't share other people's parts of it. And this goes for other topics. Like, oh my gosh, if I could share certain topics that I wouldn't, that wouldn't step on other people's toes or in some way tell their story, I feel like I have so many stories that would be so valuable, but I just want to be very respectful of others. So maybe at some point those, um, other podcasts will come again, more about like relationships and um, wealth and fame and people having misaligned priorities and some people realizing it and I think some people not realizing it. And um, yeah, I just think that there's so much to be talked about um, when it comes to relationships and friendships and healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships but I always want to make sure that I'm respectful of other people. So one, I will figure out a way at some point to share those interesting so- stories because I think they are so crazy valuable. I'm just overly cautious um, about being respectful of people that those stories involves. So same thing kind of with this. Um, my father, my most favorite memory, and I'm just so grateful to have it, Um, In June, Parker turned six and we had a sports party. Um, Our friends and neighbors own an awesome baseball facility called the Clubhouse in Costa Mesa, California. It is so fantastic. It is this huge baseball training facility. He is a former um, pro baseball player, an Angels player, and they built this beautiful facility and they let us do a huge party there and it was like the best. The very best part of it was at the end, we had CORE, which is a sports, um, they do kids parties, like they, but they also do camps and things like that. They are fantastic. It's called CORE, C-O-R-E-E. I um, specifically requested the owner because he is fantastic. My kids have gone to their camps off and on for years. So they ran a um, game and it was kids versus adults. And most of the adults got in and it was dodgeball and my dad played and it was just like my favorite because I was dying laughing at how strong my dad was, how, and they're like soft nerf balls. So kids are on one side, adults are on the other. We're throwing the balls to try to hit the kids to get the kids out. And then, um, if some, if something happened, then everyone could be released from the jail and then you would have your whole team back and you keep playing until one team is completely eliminated. So this was in June of this year, right? So here we are in December, July, August, September, October, November, December, six months ago. Six months ago, I'm, I, and I have little clippets of video, which are so, which I cherish so much. And it's my dad and I playing dodgeball and he's laughing and he's just like so strong and so youthful. And I just remember being so shocked. My dad um, had just turned 69 years old and I'm like, dad, you are as strong as ever. He did seven days a week in the gym, um, working out hard, bodybuilding, always had my whole life, just very strong, a very strong physically and mentally, a very strong man. And so I've really had to lean into the last couple of weeks, memories like this, but man, that was just the best memory. It was, I can't even tell you, it feels like out of this world, um, just because we were laughing, we were having fun, all the kids were laughing and so many of my friends were doing it too. And it makes me feel so happy that so many of my friends got to experience 
like my dad as he was, like my dad was always just like a hero of a man. That's just the best way to describe him. Just literally like a hero of a man. And the fact, I mean, my close friends already, you know, knew him from growing up with me and, you know, different occasions and holidays and birthdays and different things like this. But that day in particular, like I left there just being like, God, I had a blast with my dad and my friends did too. And the kids did too. And like, he was just all of him, like hugging my kids, Gabe Parker, like the best gifts. My, my kids will tell you that he gives the best gifts ever, ever, because it's just so thoughtful. He never asks for ideas. It just, he just knows somehow what they're going to love. So, um, that was back in June, best day ever with my dad. Then in July, he started to have shoulder pain and he thought he hurt himself in the gym. He went in for an x-ray and they're like, we, like they were imaging his shoulder and in the image, they could see a little slice of his lung. And they're like, we see a spot on your lung. Um, It's not your shoulder. It's your lung that you need to get checked out. So he went to a doctor. They started doing more and more imaging. Um, when he went to the doctor, the doctor was like, I need to drain your lung. And he went to drain it. And instead of being clear-ish that it should have been, it was red. And the doctor instantly changed his tone. And he was like, I just need to tell you right now that this often means lung cancer. And it was a, it was a ton of fluid. Um, we did more tests. We did more imaging. This is kind of like late. This whole process is crazy that it's been less than five months. So we were hopeful that it wasn't stage four lung cancer, that there were a couple other things that it could be. Went through tests and, you know, it's kind of like the test and then the, you wait a week and then another test and you wait a week and then you see a specialist kind of going through that whole process. My dad it, um, is, I still say is, my dad is a veterinarian and a very smart man, like a, I mean, a full, full doctor in every sense where he just... Um, my parent, both my parents are veterinarians, um, all growing up, they had their own animal hospital, loved animals. My dad would do these complicated surgeries. People would fly in with their pets. He also was an equine veterinarian. He worked on horses. He would do horse shows and he would, um, he would do horse calls for like people who own their own horses. He would do them early in the morning. He worked so hard. He like Saturday and Sunday mornings, he would get in all his horse calls and he would be home by the time we were having breakfast. That way he could, you know, get all his work in, but then be present with us. And, um, he was just a hero, man. He really, really was and such a smart guy. But my point in bringing that up is at the beginning, we were all helpful. Craig and I went to appointments with him. We wanted to know everything. And then it got to a point to where he knew he um, came over, he wanted to have a little splash of wine, look at photos together. And at the end of that meeting, he told us, he said, this is a four to six month thing. Nobody gets out of this alive. Um, and he was devastated, but he was, he knew. And I am an eternal optimist. And I just, at that point, I definitely didn't believe it because he still was so, yeah, I mean, he was 69, but honestly, he looked like he was 59, 60, and so strong. And he's such a tall man, um, but so strong, so capable, always like kept his mind sharp. Um, 
So after he did all that, then he was a professor at Cal Poly Pomona and ran the department there and did the horses and taught veterinary medicine and was a real, um, you know, just a real lover of his field and his profession and loved teaching others about it. Um, So the downside sometimes of being so smart is he knew. He knew and he told us and um, we still were like, well, listen, like there's so many options. There's chemo, there's immunotherapy. We're not even at the stage to do any of that. Um, but he was right. Everything he said was right. So he eventually did one round of chemo. Um, his body didn't react well. He had to go to the ER twice. Um, he had a couple mini strokes after that. I think probably one minor and one major stroke and then a couple minor strokes. Um, and the thing, and did the cancer cause the stroke? Did the chemo cause the stroke? We'll never know. It was right after the chemo. So it seemed like that. Um, but afterwards he was like, I do not want to do another round of chemo. I feel like it made everything worse. I feel like it, it took more time away. It didn't add more time. And, and the doctors, I mean, it's, it's such a hard decision when you're in that type of situation. Um, and the lesson learned, and again, I've really gotten to a point to where I'm not living in a state of regret just because I know that every moment he did the best he could and we all did the best we could in helping with his care. And I've really had to be at a good place with that. But what what I want to share, just because I think that it's so valuable and you probably know lots of this, but hopefully hearing my story will maybe help someone like trigger something sooner. I think the minute you don't feel well, like the day you don't feel well, elevate what it is and get in. By the time my dad had his first round of chemo, the cancer had spread too much. It was just everywhere. He had spots all over all over his body and it, it had just spread too much. It was such an aggressive cancer and I just think our chemo was too late. Listen, if he would have, if we would have, uh, if the doctors would have moved faster, that's one thing I was really frustrated with. He had Kaiser, which again, not trying to be controversial, but things just run slower with Kaiser. And it was like, you know, do this one test and wait, see this one doctor and wait. If that one day when they drained his blood, if they would have like somehow fast tracked it and got him into chemo when he was stronger and it hadn't spread, could that have bought him more time? Maybe. Um, but what I do know, and the lesson I want to share is, um, you have to listen to your body and the, be so crazy proactive. If someone you love is saying, man, this hurts, or this feels off, get in, let's go get in. And if you don't get the right, if you don't get something, an answer that feels satisfactory, or, you know, it's kind of like, well, that didn't really answer it. Go talk to someone else because there's nothing more important than your health. And when you're dealing with something like this. I just had no idea that cancer could do this. Maybe that sounds completely oblivious, but I had no idea that someone who, I mean, obviously he's a little bit older, didn't have age on his side necessarily, but someone that, you know, ate healthy, was active, had an overall very healthy lifestyle could go from when I saw him in June playing dodgeball, running, lifting weights, bodybuilding to... Um, not with us here five months later, six months later. Like I just didn't even know that was physically possible that cancer could do it. Um, So the lesson is 
get in the minute. If anyone, if anyone in your life is like, man, this doesn't feel right. You have to be their quarterback and help get the testing that you need. The other thing that I really learned from this, um, and again, doing it from a place of learning, and I really have to actively tell myself not to look at it like regrets, but learning. I'm doing more research on these different like advanced blood tests. So, you know, the type of blood test that you would do once a year that tests you for all sorts of cancer markers and for other diseases. I've done these myself just because I have this, I have a really low white blood cell count and a couple other funky things on, on my numbers. So I've done, um, through different specialists, um, my cardiologist for a while, my numbers were just really off. My cardiologist wanted me to go to basically a cancer center um, here in Orange County and do the full workup. And listen, it was a fortune. Um, but my numbers were off enough to where they were like, yeah, we need to do a full a full panel on you. They did a couple different types of testing. And thank goodness, everything came back normal. And it's great now because I have like an MRI imaging. I have, um, I have benchmarks, right? So if a spot were to ever come up on my body later, I have this benchmark to compare it to. It's like, oh yeah, that, like I had a tiny little thing on my thyroid right now, right? It's like, it's fine. Let's watch it. But then say in two years, I have another MRI and it's a lot bigger. We know that, oh, it's growing because this is what it looked like. So I love having that benchmark. But what I, what I am doing and what I have learned from this is if you have the financial means, because I think it's about $800. I think they say that you should do them about every year. I would have paid for my dad to do a blood test every year to see if we could pick up on things. And again, could it have made a difference? Maybe. His um, oncology doctor at the end told us that he thought that, she thought that this whole thing had developed really quickly, Um, like at the most a year, but she thought just like in three months time. So it's not like this was like developing for years and years and he didn't say anything or we didn't catch it. It came on quick. Who knows? Who knows how my father, who was never a smoker, ended up with the most aggressive form of lung cancer. Like we just, we'll never know. Of course, the family, we've all talked at lengths about like, what could it, um, what could it have been? Could it have been an environmental factor um, when he was working on horses at like horse races or, you know, or, or different, you know, different chemicals or um, he always raised fish. He had fish rooms at our different houses um, I mean, we've gone through everything and listen, we'll never know for sure. But what I have learned is I've worked so hard in my life. Um, and to be able to do that. And that's what I'll do for my mother now is every year I'm still figuring out and I will share And Hey, if anyone knows better than I do, please tell me, email me, Lindsay, L I N D S A Y at how to be awesome at everything.com. If you know the best blood test, please tell me. Um, from the research I've done and the experts, we have good friends who are, you know, kind of like high level doctors um, and very innovative doctors. I'm trying to figure out what's the best one and how often do you really need to do it? But I think that that's a very, in this this day and age of the different proactive things we can do, that's a great thing. But listen, maybe it couldn't help. Maybe he would have done the test in January and this cancer could have started developing in February. Um, so again, taking it from a learning standpoint more than a regret standpoint. Cause believe me through this whole process, I mean, I've literally cried in the shower every single day since what the end of July, here we are at the end of December. I mean, this has been a very long and slow heartbreak for me, 
Um, but one thing that does feel much better than it did is releasing myself of like any sort of guilt like that, just because all you can do is the best you can do each day and, um, you learn and you grow. But I wanted to share that because I think that's really pivotal. Um, there's a couple different ones and I am doing a deep dive research. I'm going to have, I'm going to do it myself every year. Um, my husband every year, and then also, um, set it up for my mom to do every year, just proactive, proactive health wise. I also did the, um, MRI full body scan, which sucks to be in an MRI tube. Um, and I had to take my hair extensions out just cause they have like a little, a little, they weren't actually sure, but they have like tiny little metal beads and they weren't sure if that was going to mess it up. And I wanted like a flawless MRI. So I went in the morning, had my girl Natalie take out my hair extensions, went and did the MRI and then went back to her and put the hair extensions back in, which sounds so crazy. I'm not even like that tied to them. It just was the most efficient way to do it with her schedule and everything else. But I really wanted to just have a baseline MRI. So for myself, I've done the full workup. Like I have done all of it. Um, but one thing is where, I, where I've kind of drawn the line with proactive health stuff is I really try not to do anything um, like I did an MRI, but nothing with dye or nothing with like, you know, kind of like um, um, obviously everything just can some have, you know, a, a little bit of, of something, but nothing with dye or advanced radiation or, or anything like that. Um, and if anything's bothered me, I always get an ultrasound of it. Um, I just had a mammogram. I did a mammogram and then I requested an ultrasound as well because come to find out like you can really kind of see different things that way. So lesson, not just accepting what you're told, but question, right? Um, doing proactive things, really researching, um, especially if you have a genetic condition or something you're specifically worried about, doing research and figuring out like what is like in this advanced age that we're living in, what are the different options? What can we do preventatively? What tests are out there? And then calendar it so you do it as often as you should. I also do blood work every 90 days. I want, if not more, if I, if there's something weird going on or I feel weird or a doctor requests it, I'll do it more often, but at least every 90 days. Cause I want to see where my numbers are. I want to see if there's anything I need, if I need to adjust supplements, if there's anything weird, because a lot of times I think that you can, you can kind of detect things early just with a regular, simple blood test as well. Um, we have a guy that actually comes to our house um, and draws blood. So it makes it really easy. My doctor's email over the order. I text it to him. Now, listen, when I was younger, um, and starting out, that wasn't an option to, you know, pay whatever it is, $150 cash to have the blood drawn at my house. But for me, um, with my schedule and with my work and family and my busy life, that is absolutely for me, a good trade-off for my time and the convenience of it. So just a kind of side note of that is an option in some areas. Um, if you want his contact, send me an email and I'll give it to you. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I've been able to get through the things that I normally cry through on this podcast. That makes me, it makes me happy to be strong and again, not make you sad just because I'm so sad. Um, so just to kind of finish up the story of what happened to him, um, so Man, we did one round of chemo. Um, and then, like I said, the mini strokes. Then he did immunotherapy a couple times. It maybe was making him feel a little bit better, but it was also really hard to, um, at that point, get out of the house. Um, he very 
quickly, he was really, we were very surprised at how quickly he was, um, he was losing strength, I guess, losing strength, losing appetite, going downhill. Um, he was, um, eventually in a wheelchair, which was really hard for him to accept. He was just a very strong, proud man. And that's not, that's not how he wanted to do things, but he just got to the point to where his legs weren't really working. And even then I'm telling you, I still was, I still was believing in a miracle. I really was. I was just like, you know, he's still, he's still pretty sharp. He can, you know, like my dad's our hero. Like, of course he's gonna, of course he's gonna come out of this. Um, and I think that one thing that I had no idea about, so when my dad was sick, I had this like double heartbreak going. It was, one was the heartbreak of knowing that I was going to lose him, especially, you know, even though I was believing in a miracle, I still was heartbroken knowing that like I could maybe like, we could be buying more time, but like it was a, it was a terminal diagnosis. Um, so I had that heartbreak and I also had the heartbreak of him suffering. And that's one of the biggest things to really deal with because it, from the minute, from the minute they diagnosed him, um, there were no more happy moments just because he was in pain. He was in pain. And of course he was so upset about the diagnosis and being so smart. He knew, he knew better than any of us. So knowing that I was going to lose him half the heartbreak, knowing that he was suffering and in pain and uncomfortable was like a double heartbreak. Um, and I, you know, I kept together and some of our really close friends knew, but I really didn't tell people about it just because I was going, he lives about 45 minutes away with traffic, maybe over an hour. So I was like dropping the kids off, going there, going to appointments, spending time with him, coming back. Like I was just so busy. Um, but I wish I would have shared with more people because I think there, that, people probably would have told me some things that I learned. Um, like I had no idea. So then he passed to go to, he passed two weeks ago today. I had no idea that that double heartbreak I was talking about was nothing compared to the feeling that I had when he actually passed since we knew it. And since it was, it was a very fast decline, but we were all present during each stage. He started getting confused um, he needed a wheelchair. His legs weren't working like all the terrible things, but like we, I can't imagine people who lose their loved ones suddenly. And like the whole other thing, I, I mean, there's no good way. I don't even know which, which is honestly worse to lose someone suddenly and not be able to know and not be able to have those moments. Or in my case, to have the person know and be so knowing that you're dying and be suffering and us have that pain of watching him suffer. I don't know. That's all I know. But I feel like what I would, what I feel like that way is worse because the depression of knowing that you're dying is just like, it's so cruel. It's so inhumane. And then to actually suffer your last few months of life is just, it's so painful to see. And it's, it's just such a, such a, such a huge part of the sadness that I have over this. So anyways, but I had no idea that the heartbreak and the devastation, like I just felt gutted after, after he passed. I just, I just, nothing compared to that feeling. I'm telling you, I just really didn't. And I think that maybe if I would have shared what I was going through with a few other friends outside of just my close, close circle, um, maybe 
and they would have had tidbits to share to kind of um, prepare me, but also maybe nothing can prepare you for the feeling until you actually go through it. Um, the one other thing I want to mention about being crazy proactive of your health is also to be open to alternative medication options. Now, not in a controversial way, but I really believe that the oh, the pharmaceutical industry and, and, and hospitals, they make money when people are sick, not well. And I just really think it's set up backwards. I think that in doctor's appointments, doctors should be asking um, like questions that they don't ask, you know? Are you, how hydrated are you? How much do you sleep? What's your stress level like? Um, are you moving your body? What What are you eating? Um, how do you feel most days? What's your energy like? Like, you know, all the like really important questions that I feel like most doctors either don't have time for or it's not like the standard protocol. I just think you have to be your own quarterback or the quarterback for the people that you love. And I think that, that you should be open to alternative um, options, lifestyle options, medication options. I just think that being open and researching, um, not just listening to what you are presented can be very, very valuable in fighting, in fighting diseases and can really completely turn things around. Okay. By the way, I'm not sick. I think literally from crying for the last five months, I just have this like head congestion and this nose congestion and this voice thing. Um, but it feels it feels good to it feels good to share it and it feels good to kind of answer all the things that people have been asking me that I haven't had the energy to necessarily answer one on one. The other big lessons and in going through this process, I am 100% going into this next phase of life and this next calendar year with the biggest like live life fully, like each day, each month, each year, like live it fully. A lot of times I'll go to plan an adventure and something will kind of come up or someone's like, eh, not into it, or it gets complicated. I'm telling you, I'm taking every adventure because, you know, I will never understand how this could happen to such a good man and like just a man that was just so full of life. They had just um, bought a place in Hawaii and he was so excited to go, to go and see it. It's just, you just never know. And, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's just so true. It's just like, we're never guaranteed time. And um, one of the best lessons that I love from kind of the business and personal development space is you, the definition of hell is showing up at heaven's gates and someone, some godly figure handing you, let's say like an iPad <laughs> with a video of what you could have been or like the person, the life you could have lived the life with like passion and adventures and and trips and new experiences and taking chances and all that, right? Like that's the definition of hell. You seeing your life played back to you, but like you at your fullest. Man, that like sinks in so deep now more than ever. And when this happened and and right when this happened, oh my God, this is gonna hurt this is gonna this is gonna crush you listening just because it, it like crushes me even to think about, but like right when it, 
right when it happened and he told us, he was like, how do you put 20 years of life you had planned for yourself into six months? And like, that was like the biggest blow to the gut. And the reality is he didn't, he had five months, but none of it was living. None of it. Once this disease went, got in his body, like it just, there was, there was no more fun to be had. There was no more adventures. So it wasn't even 20 years of life that he had planned, you know, to live it in six months because those, most of those six months were really, um, sad and with lots of pain and and medication and and all the things. So I really have this new embrace and I have this new favorite song. It's by a country singer. Even if you don't like country, you will love this song. His name is Cody Johnson. And um, the words go, if you have a chance, take it. If you have a dream, chase it because your dream won't chase you back. It's the best song. And for some reason, I started loving this song like around the time that this happened, kind of separately. And then it became the song of my dad's, my, it became the song of my healing of my dad. And um, he is actually coming to our area and I am, I keep looking at tickets. I need to actually buy them. I'm going to take us, the five of us and just go. And I really don't even think I know many other songs by this artist, but just, just the whole effort is worth it for that one song because that song means so much to me. And it's literally like, if you have a chance, take it. And I tell my kids that all the time now. If you have a dream, chase it because that's what we're going to do. That's a lesson learned. That's honoring my dad and and celebrating him every day. Even, I mean, I say his name every day. And, and even if there comes a time when I'm not saying his name every single day, he he's with us in that in that vitality for life. And just like, if you got a chance, take it. If you have a dream, chase it. That's what we're going to do. That's what we've, that's what we've learned from this. The other thing that's a little bit heavier, but I think it's so important is have the uncomfortable conversations just in life. Like I've kind of learned without, without kind of sharing anyone else's story of this, I've kind of learned now different things that he thought I thought, or he was worried about something. And like, I didn't, I didn't think that, or that wouldn't happen with me. So, and again, living from a place of learning, not regret, but thinking I'm going to have every possible uncomfortable conversation I can have from here on out, bring on the uncomfortable conversations. And I'm actually going to do a podcast about this because I feel like it is a really like big, healthy topic. Have the uncomfortable conversation that you need to have. It is, it's it's such a good life lesson to release weight off your shoulders, to get things out in the open, to unchain you from something, to not have misunderstandings or assumptions between people. Have the uncomfortable conversations. That's one big massive lesson I've learned from this thing. And again, little situations, nothing, nothing major. My, my father and I had a wonderful relationship our, my whole life, my whole life, he was always so supportive. And also, by the way, supportive when it didn't even make sense. I graduated college at age 20 and started a business. And everyone was like, you have no business experience. You are like, this doesn't make sense. You need to go work and like figure out 
how it works and then start your own business. And by the way, they weren't wrong. But, you know, even if he, he always supported me and he always, he always was cheering for me, whether it was from afar or near, um, like I said, he was just like a hero of a guy. One other quick story I want to tell about my dad, because it just like, it really kind of captures who he was. And, um, I think it'll be really interesting. My, my father, um, and his family grew up in Tennessee. Actually, his parents were in the same high school and the same graduating year as Elvis Presley, right? Like that was like the big thing, but it was all, um, cowboys and, and riding horses. And, uh, my grandparents were high school sweethearts. They got married, had three kids. My brother has a sister and a brother. Um, and it was only when I called my, my dad's brother to tell him what was going on with my dad, he started telling me stories about my dad. And it was almost like he started telling me stories that he hadn't told before, just because like now's the time. And both of my, um, both of my grandparents are no longer with us. And I need to preface this story with my grandparents were wonderful people. My grandfather was a wonderful person, despite the story that you're about to hear. Um, but like, I loved them. They were, they were incredible. But, um, so I call my brother, I call my dad's brother. Um, and he is like, wow, your dad has always been so strong. I just can't believe this is happening. I, you know, I can't believe that the cancer is, is so aggressive. And, and then he was telling me stories about their childhood. And the one that really stood out that I feel like summarizes my dad perfectly, he said that he was the hardest worker. He would get up, they had horses and cows and chickens and goats and all the things. And he would always work really hard. He was the first one out there. And he said in his early teens, he started bodybuilding. Like he started lifting weight. He was tall, he was strong. And he said he was so focused on taking care of the family's obligations and uh, all the animals and doing the chores and um, and lifting weights that his first date was at grad night when he was 18 years old. He said he was so laser focused on all that stuff. Um, and he would he it was really out of the ordinary that my dad would lift weights at such a young age and do you know such bodybuilding and his brother said you know he's like I, you know he was all he always knew what to do jim always knew the right thing to do he knew the right answer he was the strong one and i and everyone always said like why are you so aggressive with this lifting weight thing and it was kind of odd it wasn't like he was lifting weights for girls attention he didn't have a date till he was 18 but like starting at age 13, lifting weights um, every day, an hour every day, relentless about it. So my dad's brother says, one day uh, their father came home. Their father would sometimes, I mean, how do I say this? So it completely, completely effed up, but kind of in the area and the culture that they lived, the all these guys were like cowboys and the guys would go to the bar and they'd come home and like kind of like not not all of them but they'd yell at their wives right it was like you know kind of a drunk cowboy thing totally not okay just giving framework obviously not okay so he would come home um after drinking sometimes and and kind of yell or you know push the table around or whatever right and so one day he came home and he started 
hitting his wife. He was their mom, right? So he came home drunk, yelling, pushing things around, and then he kind of had her pinned and um and he was hurting her. And so um his so my dad's brother said I I was in there and I had no idea what to do. My dad didn't the dad didn't care that I, he was there, so he said I he ran outside and got Jim, my dad. And my dad ran inside and he pulled, and my grandfather was a big guy too, pulled um, his dad off of his mom. And he said he lifted him up against the wall. So his feet were off the wall. And my dad's brother said, in that moment, I knew I it all made sense. He was training for this. He knew that one day, the yelling would go too far and he needed to be there. He needed to be there for mom and he needed to be there for the family. And that's what he did. And he said, I, I'd never seen anything like it. He was so strong and that's why he knew he had to be. He stopped it. He shook shook uh, their father up enough to where um, it didn't happen again. Whether he was afraid of my dad, my dad never left either. He knew that he had to kind of be there to protect. So whether it was enough of a shakeup or whatever the case was. But um, to hear my brother tell me the story and he goes, he always was the strongest. He knew what to do and he saved mom. And like, to me, it was just like, yeah, he's a hero. And and I hesitate to tell the story because again, my grandfather was was such a nice man and such a kind man and, and was always a... a uh, really loved horses would take me horseback riding and then my kids horseback riding and all the things. So like, it's fine. Um, but I wanted to tell the story honestly, because that's the type of person that he was. And he was always just so physically strong. And, um, in the heartbreak of dealing with this with my dad, there have been glimmers of joy and hearing stories that I didn't know, um, which, further prove my dad is like the hero that he was have been very um, healing in a way and just leaning into the celebration of life. Not, you know, not focusing on all the things that the shock of it happening and how unfair it is. And of course, I still feel all those feelings, but really trying to control my emotions to celebrating the incredible man that he, that he has always been for me and my kids and um, you know, everyone, all his friends and everyone that he ever taught as a professor. And like, it just ripples so far. But I wanted to share that story because I think that, um, I think that sharing stories of how wonderful people are that we love can have such power and such impact, even if they're not the best family stories. Like that's not a story people want to tell. But to me, it was because like, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. That's obviously a huge mistake on his father's part. But the fact that he could foresee that and was training for that day and was ready when he needed to be. And the fact that my dad's brother was so confused as to why he was doing all this. And then it all made sense. Um, was just very cool, very cool. And, um, such a, such a moment for me to just like elevate my father up even more in my mind and, you know, kind of share the story of, of his legacy, even through tough times. Okay. So, oh man, live each day fully. If you got a chance, take it, have the uncomfortable conversations. Um, and also 
if you're going through something sad like this, um, listen to the stories, ask for the stories that you might not know about. I think that, um, that is, has been definitely been one thing that has really brought me comfort. Another huge lesson that I haven't yet talked about with all this is spend time with the people that you love and be very intentional about who this is. You have to pick. You can't just go with what you've always done or the people that you've always known or what you think you should do. In the um, whole program, this 2.0 course that I'm doing, on the deep dive sheets, there's one section that is like, who, it's basically like, who are your homies, right? Who are your people? And the crazy thing is when you're writing this down, this is such a good exercise. It might not be who you think. Maybe some people on your list you've only known for a year. And maybe people you've known since high school aren't even on your list. It's like, who makes you feel your best? What circle of people do you want to be in? Like, who are your people? Who makes you feel the best? Who do you text when you're upset? Who do you text when you're ups- excited? Who's your biggest cheerleader? Who who pushes you? Who brings out the best version of you? Those are the people that need to be on our list. I'm so grateful, especially in the last couple of years, of all the times that I spent with my dad and the dinners and the holidays and the special times with my kids. Of course, I wish there were more. And so that's where this comes from for me. I am going into this brand new calendar year like, oh, I'm not wasting time. I'm not spending, I'm I'm just not wasting time. Like if I'm going to veg out on social media, I'm setting a timer on my phone and it's like five minutes, maybe 10, right? It is not, I am not going to live a numbed out life at all. And because I know if I want to do all the things that I want to do, we need every minute. Like there's just no time to be wasting time. And especially when it comes to people that you love. But I think the first step is being very intentional because you might surprise yourself when you make the list of like, who are my people? In this next calendar year, who do you want to spend the most time with? Like really think about it. Who inspires you? Who do you love? Who's always been there for you? Who's a new friend that makes you feel so alive? Whatever it is. I think that we need to be very intentional about how we spend our time. And so we're not wasting time because it's so easy to be like, yeah, I just, I don't have time. I'd love to see my mom more. I just don't have time. Like, no, 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 you do. We just have to crunch the time. Less whatever it is. Like make decisions faster. Um, Be more efficient with your time. Have your groceries delivered instead of spending hours a week doing it. Or just examples, but just to like get your mind, get your mind going. Um, Maybe you have certain tasks that you could just, move faster on. Maybe you could go to bed earlier and wake up earlier. We all have the same number of hours in the day. And I think that if we're very intentional about not wasting time and we're equally as intentional about figuring out who are our people, then we will make sure we spend lots of time because we're going to have more time because we're going to cut out all the things that waste our time. And we're going to spend our time and we're going to put it on the calendar, the dinners and the events and the hikes and the holidays or the vacations or whatever it is, because you they're on your list. You know who's so important to you. And this way, you don't just accept invites too much. Like sometimes we just do because, you know, that's and that's how you make new friends. It's fine. But say you have certain people who, oh, yeah, okay, let's go to that because we were invited. Oh, let's go to that. But then that time that you're spending with them is time you're not spending with somebody else. 
So by being very intentional about who makes who's on your list, it will help you make better decisions about how you spend your social time, right? And maybe you'll say no to more things because they're not they're not aligned with the people that you want to spend the most time with. And I think that's how we don't have regret as these really devastating things life things happen is because we were intentional and we we decided way before someone got sick that like we love them. I'm telling you the people that are on my list that are like my closest people, I am so ride or die. I will do any for anything for them, no question. In the middle of the night, um, favors, sacrifice, time, money, dedication, love, support. Like you can have the shirt off my back. Like if you are in my inner circle, there is absolutely nothing I wouldn't do to support you or help you or be there. And I really try hard to make sure my people know that and tell them often. And I even write it sometimes in my, in the journaling I do or kind of in my like weekly planners is like tell one person in your inner circle exactly how you feel about them or exactly how much they mean to you because it's so fantastic. Sometimes we can, we just go through the motions, but it deepens relationships. And also then they, they feel so they feel dedicated to you in the same way, right? Like it strengthens your relationship because you're so expressive about how you feel about them and how you will be there for them without judgment, no matter what. It it strengthens the relationship. It gives you these cool bonds in life to where like I am so fortunate to have that with my, you know, my immediate family and in a select group of friends. And some of them are girlfriends. Some of them are their entire families. Like no matter what, I would be there in a heartbeat. I'd fly somewhere. I'd do the thing. Like just, and I just feel so grateful to be in that point of life. But this awful phase of life has really allowed me the clarity to hone in on who is it? Who do you want to spend time with? You know, if something if something terrible happened down the line, you don't want to have regret that you didn't spend enough time, enough holidays, enough birthdays with those people that you love the most. So write it down. Be very intentional about who it is and calendar it. Get them on the calendar, whatever it is. Say, I'm going to make sure I, you know, whatever, meet up. I don't always like doing things just around meals. I meet up for a hike or an adventure or I travel with this person. There may be three people on your list, there may be 13 people on your list, however it works for you. But I think that there is, there's something so powerful about having a tribe and spending time with them so you don't have regret, but also how much, how much depth it brings to your life and just how much joy and fulfillment it can have by really cultivating those really strong relationships. Ooh, sorry, my I'm telling you, this head congestion is just no joke. I feel like I, people will say, are you sick? I'm like, no, I don't always say it because it's a little heavy to put on a stranger, but it's like, I just have a broken heart. Like that's all it is. And I haven't, I mean, I've lost grandparents, but I was younger and man, there's, I've never experienced anything like this. It's nothing like what I expected. I don't know what I expected, but I definitely didn't expect this feeling of um, just being gutted and being, I am still 100% in 
in denial about the fact that I will never hug my father again today. My father that I just love so much. So it's hard. It's hard and um, it's difficult. Some days are harder than others. What I've learned is don't judge the emotions, but let them be what they are. Like in no way, even if I'm out in public and I something reminds me of him or whatever, like if I've got to cry, that's just what's going to happen. Because at the end of the day, what if, what do I care about what people think? I literally do not care about what people think. I don't care about them. I just don't care. I don't care how I look enough. Like I care how I look like I want to pull myself together, but I don't care like someone else's perception of me or like, oh, what's that girl's deal? Like I just, I just fully don't care. So um, that's helped. Um, talking about him and um, leaning into the motions. I know that this is a very long process and people who have unfortunately gone through it, you know much better than I do. Um about the different phases that I will likely go through from here. But for now, this is where we are. One other interesting thing that I was not expecting through this process is realizing that I can still be strong. Like I can be crying and still be strong because I need to, like I said earlier in the episode, especially because my family has dealt with so much scare with all of Craig's health things. I really worry that everyone has like this kind of paralyzing fear of death. Like we've all been on edge for so many years. And also keep in mind this year, um, we, I told you about the, the base, the baseball party that my, um, little guy Parker had in June, the next day that was on a Saturday, that next Sunday, is when Craig's defibrillator went off twice, his heart stopped twice, and we were back in the hospital the next day. So, um, and uh, Craig had some little health blips. So I literally spent like the first half of the year worrying about Craig. And then starting in June, Craig had like major heart stuff, the major surgery, everything. And then we were kind of getting back to normal, like start of July. And then this is when my dad's um, sadness came about. So, I mean, it's just been like, the whole year of like sad emotions and me worrying about everyone being okay. So all that to say, I've realized that I can be so sad and also strong because I need to be strong to carry on the days. And I know my dad would want us to still live our lives and be happy and enjoy each other. Um, but also I need to be strong for my kids too. It's it's sad for them, but it's not obviously the same as it is for me losing a father. Um, and even though I will cry in front of them, I'll talk about him, I'll be honest. I also want to be strong. And the other side of it is we're still going to have Christmas and we're still going to go out and we're still going to do things. And I'm not, I don't have like that lighthearted happiness that I used to have. And I, I hope it comes back. I can't, I just can't imagine ever feeling how I felt before because I feel like once you have a scar this deep, how could you ever, I just don't know how I could have ever had the lighthearted happiness I had before I knew what such pain felt like. But um, really digging in, and, and I talk all the time about training for strength and, you know, not just physical, like, you know, running hard and sprinting and um, doing hot saunas and cold plunges and pushing my body and lifting heavy weights like that, but also pushing myself in other ways like pushing myself a little bit beyond what's uncomfortable, have the uncomfortable conversation, um, launch a product, start a podcast, write an online course, like do the things that make you stronger because it's taking a chance. 
It's, it's, you know, and it builds such confidence. I really think that confidence you gain by doing because you're proving to yourself that you're the type of the person that you want to be. And so by doing all those things that, you know, I, I take chances all the time. Sometimes I win, sometimes I fail, but I think that I've really built like this deep self-confidence and this really deep strength to where even though I'm devastated, I'm strong and I can be brokenhearted and carry on at the same time. My girlfriend, Casey, who very sadly lost her father, I think it was about a little over two years ago. She, I mean, so many people have given me such great advice, but she said, especially because my father passed on December 14th and Craig's birthday is the very next day. And so I was just like, how, how is this even going to happen? And I didn't want to take away from Craig, especially with the year he's had too. I didn't want to take his birthday away from him, um, but I was also frozen. And she said, for a long while, joy and sadness are just going to have to live in the same space. And I was just like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Like they're just going to have to live together. Sadness and joy are going to have to live together for a while because that's the only way that we can do it, right? So interesting and and so many different things. I've learned so much. I think that's one of the best things that can come out of social media and podcasting is is learning different people's stories and their experiences and how they've coped and the one little gem of information can really transform the way you think of something or the way you the way you frame it in your mind, the way you proceed. Um, this has definitely been the hardest and the saddest thing I've ever been through. I'm so grateful for all the love and all the support and all the messages. And I thought that it would be very valuable to share the lessons, the health lessons, which I'll recap real quick, and also like the life lessons. The health lessons being... If you have a little symptom or someone else in your family, man, you get in there and you take it really seriously, even if it ends up being a hangnail. Also, be willing to go to many doctors if you don't get the answers that you like. And also do your own research. Be open to alternative options with medications, with supplements, with lifestyle. There has most likely been someone who's figured out something else that the traditional medical community um, does not support or doesn't even know about. So I just think it's just so important. Also, the things we talked about, doing blood work, doing scans, doing whatever proactive things you have access to, being proactive about your health, listening to your body, um, doing the right, um, getting in with the right doctors the minute you don't feel right. I think all that stuff and being a quarterback. And if you don't feel strong and well enough because you're because you're sick, make sure you have someone that loves you that will be your quarterback. Because sometimes you need someone like when Craig's been through all his stuff. I mean, I would I would take it on no matter what. But like he's foggy. He's you know been through different things. Like he can't be his own quarterback. Like he can manage the medications and make sure doctors are connecting and. Um, I've learned so much through Craig's and I've podcasted on this a little bit as well, but keeping the things organized and making the doctors talk to each other. Remember, doctors are so busy. They could have, you know, 30 patients. They could have 300 patients that they that they see in and out. You have to be pushy. You have to demand their time and you have to connect people. I would print out different things and I'd hand it to the doctors when they walked in, like when Craig was in the hospital or, or my dad. It's like, 
you guys, you, you, it, don't assume that it's naturally going to happen or it's naturally going to happen as quick as it needs to happen, especially if it's something as serious as this. You have to push. Do not get comfortable um, because there's no downside. And oftentimes doctors are so busy and so many of them have the best intentions. Um, but sometimes you just have to make sure that that your health or your loved one's health is really getting the attention that it needs. And oftentimes that means multiple doctors communicating with each other. Um, I think it's just so important. And then on the other life stuff, have the uncomfortable conversations. Just have them. Just bite the bullet and have it. I'm telling you, you, once you have it, you will be ready for the next one. Like what else? What else do I need to clear off of my plate and, and have a lighter feeling about like what's next? Again, a full podcast coming on that because I love that topic and I think it's so important in all of our lives. Um, And of course, live each day, month, year fully and plan it. Plan out your year now. Don't let the year pass you by. Like we need to make defining years where like this is the year I blank. I took my family finally to Alaska or I ran that half marathon or I learned to do yoga and I could do a crazy handstand, like whatever it is. I think that um, by really deciding that we are going to live fully and set big goals and dreams and do it, um, it's just huge. And that's really why I created the 2.0 course and method. Um, It has deep dive sheets and then it has calendar sheets that directly support your goals. So on your deep dive sheet, like we talked about, you write down all your people. Then on your calendar, you plan it. I'm going to see one of them. I'm going to text one of them. I'm going to see all, like whatever it is. Um, It's taking the things that we think about and putting them into action. Writing down, getting very honest with yourself about what's important to you and then taking it so clearly down to literally each day, each week, each month, it helps you make decisions better. So you decide like, what are you really going to do? Are you going to accept this invitation or not? Because we know every minute you spend doing something is a minute you're not spending something else. So we have to first get laser clear on what we really want, what's important to us, who are our people, and then we can make decisions that align perfectly with our priorities, with how we spend our time and how we spend our money and how we make decisions that way we don't have those regret those regrets god forbid if something sad were to happen because we've we were just so intentional about making sure we have enough time with those people that we love and the people that we would do anything for i hope that this episode brought some sort of um clarity and ideas. And hopefully you take something from this and you're like, yes, that's what I'm going to do. I needed that push. I needed to make that phone call or I need to call my mom every day or answer every time she calls, whatever it is. Or maybe it's just about living life fully and knowing that um, we just never know what the next month, what the next year is going to hold. So take the chance, take the, go on the adventure, say yes, do the things and know that if you have big dreams or big goals, it's gotta be now. Like we just, we just don't know what's ahead. Um, Charge those things now. Don't wait for the perfect circumstances because the net perfect circumstances are never going to happen in business or in life. There's never a perfect time to have a baby or start a business. The perfect time is just always right now. Well, maybe not always for a baby, but you know what I mean? The time to start 
a project, write a book, start a podcast is always now because, um, you know, momentum brings momentum. And before you know it, you could have the dream for five years and never have done anything about it. And uh, that's not where we want to be. We want we don't want our dreams to die. We want to like set them sail and just like go for it, jump in, um, dive in head first and just go for it. Because if you have a chance, take it. If you have a dream, chase it. I'm telling you, look up that Cody Johnson song. It will be your mantra for living life fully like it is for me. And it's really helped me um, take those really sad days and turn them into inspiring moments. Um, that's really been so, so helpful in this whole process. So thank you for listening to this long podcast over one hour. I'm so glad you stayed till the end. I appreciate this community so much and the lessons that we learned together. Um, ping me on Instagram at Lindsay's Cloud. And again, thank you so much for the love and the messages. I can't tell you how much it means to me and um, just sharing the stories and just seeing how many kind people there are. I can't tell me you how many people pinged me on Christmas and are like, I know today must be so hard for you. I'm thinking of you. I'm like, oh my gosh, like we don't even actually know each other. How kind is that? How lucky am I? And um, that's how I really feel. So I'm grateful for this opportunity and this platform, and I'm grateful for you listening. Lots of new podcast episodes to come as I have been in this sadness, coma, and also just physically very busy um, helping to take care of my dad. Um, I've been taking notes and I have so many podcasts ready to go that I think will bring value and um, really inspire you for the new year, especially. Thank you so much for listening and have an awesome day. Thanks for listening to the How to Be Awesome at Everything podcast. For more info about today's episode and all past episodes, head over to howtobeawesomeateverything.com where we break it all down. Tell us what you thought of today's topic on Lindsay's Instagram at Lindsay's Cloud. Until next time, go out and be awesome because that's exactly what you are.